Howdy, folks. Welcome back to, I guess, episode three now. Correct, Jack? Episode three. Episode three of the Kentucky Round Ball Roundup. My name is Zach Gagan. We have Jack Pilgrim with us, as always. Today is going to be, uh, I guess they've all been very uh, news-heavy episodes, but today a little bit more so because the last 24 hours for Kentucky sports fans have been something, uh, something to see, not in a good way either. So it started off, obviously, with the unfortunate passing of John Schlarman yesterday morning. Today is Friday that we're recording this. So yesterday morning that happened. Uh, kind of came as a shock to everyone, I guess. Um, obviously, Schlarman's been dealing with that for a while and hasn't exactly been with the team in uh, the same capacity he had been. So still tragic news, though, to hear that. And um, the news kind of continued on throughout the day as Matthew Mitchell retired Um late last night that kind of shocked everyone just as as equally um obviously for different reasons though so it's been an interesting 12 hours we're not going to talk about the football team but we just thought we'd at least bring that up uh that situation because it is very very sad give, so, give it the attention it, it definitely deserves yeah yeah so it's definitely we got plenty to talk about because the matthew mitchell news coincidentally broke last night during kentucky's the men's team pro day the men's team's pro day so probably what we're going to be doing today sorry my phone just went off is we're going to be breaking down pretty much just those two things. That's probably all. I think we'll have plenty of stuff to dive into today for those two topics. So might not cover much other stuff, but I feel like that's going to be more than enough to get to. So Jack, why don't you uh, go ahead and say hello? Well, hi, how are you? I'm very glad to be here again. I appreciate your little introduction here and uh, looking forward to another, you know, it kind of sucks that we kind of have to start this on such a, negative note because I mean you know I I, you know me I'm kind of the eternal optimist I'm like all you know happy dandy about pretty much everything I can find some sort of positivity about everything but yesterday that was that was pretty much a big old crap sandwich that the University of Kentucky fan base and just the UK athletics family was fed Um, I mean when we woke up I mean with starting with the John Schlarman news, it's pretty obvious that that was going, that we were headed that route. I mean, when he, they end the Tennessee streak with him getting the game ball, how celebratory that was, how big of a moment that was, how that was, it it kind of felt like that was his last hurrah. It really did. Uh, He missed the Missouri game. He missed the road trip. And then he wasn't even in attendance for the Georgia home game in back-to-back weeks. And the more the coaching staff and the players continue to say, we really need you guys to pray for them. We really need you guys to have your thoughts with the Schlarman family right now. You could tell that momentum was building in a very negative way that we were probably headed toward uh, what what ultimately ended up happening. So, so yeah, the, the news broke yesterday early morning we kind of spent all day kind of sulking a little bit mourning the loss kind of celebrating what he brought to the table for the football program how massive of a you know an impact you know dating back to his time as a player through what he's done with the big blue wall at Kentucky the offensive line all that stuff we just got kind of to the all right let's take a step forward we got Kentucky basketball to watch tonight let's kind of celebrate with each other a little bit and then 
bam hit with yet another just massive massive blow for the pro for just the uk athletics family i mean matthew mitchell has become just such a darling for the uk fan base they've loved watching his you know dances at big blue madness they've loved watching him kind of take that program over and turn it into a perennial contender of you know the sec somebody that's going to guarantee that they're going to make the ncaa tournament they're going to compete they're going to you know have success year after year they're going to bring in exciting players you know we've had so much success over the years under matthew mitchell and then all of it just kind of felt like the rug was pulled from underneath it just last night it was just like the momentum that we were i mean we talked about this on the show literally the last two weeks saying this is Matthew Mitchell's moment. We finally get his time as a, you know, with a legitimate title contending team. And I mean, yeah, they're still going to con- compete. I mean, we'll talk about what this means for the program and how they're still going to, you know, thrive. But th- this loss can't be understated. I mean, this is a huge hit to the UK athletics family, just, you know, outside of basketball, just what, you know, it, for him to abruptly announce this decision the way he did leads me to believe that it was a it was a serious decision on his part that he had no choice but to make this decision which makes me just feel even worse about his health status which makes me just you know hurt for his family hurt for his kids just trying to figure out okay it, how serious is this is this brain brain situation have things gotten worse what is the you know i'm hoping for some clarity at some point in the near future. But as of right now, it's just definitely something that we're all kind of coming together with and going, man, this just freaking sucks. Yeah. Two weeks ago yesterday was um, his media day and he talked everything he said, you know, no signs at all of I'm, I might be stepping away. And then this morning they had the introductory news conference between Mitch Barnhart and, uh, uh, Kyra Elsey, who will be the interim coach, and we'll obviously talk about her more in a second. But so, um, yeah. So I don't even know what was I saying. I got sidetracked there really quick. Just they, you know, the, the timeline of events. How you know two weeks oh, ago? Yeah. Okay, so two weeks ago, yeah. Or, yeah, it seemed like it's fine. And then um, this morning during that press conference, you know, uh, Mitch Barnhart kind of explains the situation, how it uh, came about with Matthew Mitchell, and he said that. Mitchell called him Wednesday night or I got sometime Wednesday. I don't think he specified during the, uh, what time during the day, but sometime Wednesday, he called him and said, Hey, you know, they've, they'd kind of had discussions about this and over the, the past couple of weeks, it sounded like, but Wednesdays when Mitchell was like, Hey, I, I don't think I can do this anymore. I'm not a hundred percent. It doesn't look like I'm going to be a hundred percent. Who knows if a complication came up within uh, his recovery process or what might've prompted all this, but from what even from from Barnhart's perspective, it was kind of a a shock to him because he told him he was like, all right, well, think about it for the day, uh, sleep on it, you know, come back tomorrow and let me know. And Thursday morning came around, and Barnhart said that he was still very confident, resolute was the word he used. He was very resolute in his decision. Uh, Matthew Mitchell was so. It sounds like this was probably something that had been brewing a little bit for uh, Coach Mitchell, um, but it was definitely a very quick like a snap thing. Like it definitely, it took everyone by surprise. You kind of mentioned that you, you were hearing some rumblings of it yesterday before it happened, but not really. So it was kind of, it was kind of bizarre, the timeline of events. So 
Larry Vaught tweeted something along the lines of, I don't think that this is the only, the John Schlarman news is not the only hit that the UK family is going to take at some point soon. Something along, it was very, very secretive, but like, right. Hey, I would kind of keep your guard up right now. Things aren't going to get any better, at least in the immediate future. Um, So we kind of did, you know, the, we were doing a little bit of digging and, and uh, you know, there were rumors or, you know, we, we did hear that that was kind of on the table. That was a possibility, but it was one of those situations where it's like, there's no way, like, there's just no way that this is going to happen right now, right before the season starts after so much momentum and so much positivity, you know, about how good this team is going to be two weeks before the season starts that he's going to pull the plug. Well, let's even talk about let's talk about just the overall timing of it in general because it was it did happen during the, the news did break in the middle of that pro day. Yeah, in the very middle of the pro day it broke, or maybe it was at the very beginning. So the very middle, eight o'clock. Yeah, seven yeah. seven thirty to well, yeah, uh, seven thirty to nine was pro day, right? It was seven to seven to eight thirty. So yeah. smack dab in the middle, right in the middle. So and, and they released it right at eight. So that was kind of a that was a thing that they'd planned out for to release it that night. So. But for it to kind of happen, you know, if he two weeks before this, less than two weeks now, you know, we're looking at the 25th, the schedule hasn't come out yet. I would anticipate that that's going to happen sometime soon, especially now that they've transitioned from coaches, you know, hopefully that's going to, I think they're waiting on that SEC more so to get that news, but hopefully that can come out today. So, but with two weeks left until the season, you know, they needed to either make this decision. They had to make it now. Like they couldn't have gone on next week and continue to do this. Um, So just, it made sense the timing of doing it right now, but it was also like, why right now? You know, mm-hmm. what, because you kind of explained the whole deal with having Ryan Howard, National Player of the Year, a preseason top 10 team, like, could he not have, um, and even, it was even posed in the press conference this morning, was he not thinking about maybe just taking a year off or something or maybe staying in some capacity? And, you know, from once again, from what Barnhart was saying and what Mitchell said in his statement uh, the other day, it just, he was just, he's done. He doesn't sound like he's going to be back to a hundred percent health in, within any time soon. Um, I'm sure the coat we, we, you and I kind of talked about this yesterday through text, but the COVID situation probably had a little bit to do with it as well. Like, you know, if we weren't in this whole pandemic, would Matthew Mitchell have still retired? Would that have still, you know, those type of things, obviously we won't know. We don't know. We probably won't know for a while what the actual deal was, but you know, for the immediate, the immediate implications are, they're huge because of how good this team can be and what coach LZ is going to inherit. And she's essentially, she is inheriting a top 10 team. It really doesn't get much better, honestly, if you're trying to be a a first year coach. So, but if there's anyone that has kind of the tools to do it, she's definitely in a perfect situation for it. Yeah. And before, before we kind of transition into the new administration and how things are kind of going to transition, I will say um, I've kind of been following, I've kind of had an inside look on, you know, Mitchell's career over the last several years. Um, I, we have a close family friend that, that is very close to the situation and, and knows how things are run. And, and uh, it, it's a, so, so I've kind of gotten some inside an inside look at how Matthew Mitchell's brain works and how his daily life works and and when the I, I kind of when things settled last night and I kind of got to sit down and think about okay how how do we get to this point 
it really ended up making sense for me because I had heard over the years that he is a wake up at five o'clock in the morning, get going, run out. Hey, I need you to go pick this up. I need you to go pick this up. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be at the, at the office at this time. Uh, we're going to be going this, 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 it is a never ending 110% cycle for Matthew Mitchell. He is a guy that he just doesn't have an off switch constant, constant, constant work. And I mean, there's a reason that his success, the recruiting success that the team, I mean, the adversity that he's overcome with, you know, just the team, the, the you know the the team dynamic losing out on on you know transfers out of the program several years back being able to still kind of mold that team to what it ended up being I mean just how he has embraced adversity and and how he has embraced just work ethic you know there's a reason that he is Matthew Mitchell right now and that he has gained the stardom that he has it's because he has earned it he has worked his ass off from the time he got on campus to the the time that he he just left yesterday so knowing that he doesn't have an on an, an off switch that he is constantly going constantly trying to better the university um you know kind of knowing that from from behind the scenes kind of looking at it now going okay he's probably looking at this situation going, I am either, you know, if it, a doctor can't tell me, Hey man, you probably need to slow down. Things are, you, you're going through something serious right now. This is a very, you know, difficult time for your body. You need to heal. You need to slowly progress back. He probably in his heart didn't think that he could, you know, he, he didn't want to give anything less than 110%. If he wasn't 110%, then he wasn't, he wasn't doing what was best for the program. So in his heart, he probably thought, I personally can't fulfill the job that needs to be done at the University of Kentucky. I want somebody that I trust more than anybody to take that role over while I, you know, let go and, you know, kind of get my life back because he is a guy that has been basketball driven for a very long time. And I kind of look at that John Schlarman situation. I really do. I look at, at that situation, look at his coat. I mean, he's another guy that woke up every day, you know, eat, you know, eat, slept, and drank football all day, every day. That was his, his whole life. And, you know, he said a kind of a couple quotes there at the end of his, at the end of his life and kind of said, you know, you know, I'm starting to value these, these fishing trips with my son a lot more. I'm starting to, you know, understand the value of life just a little bit more. I'm kind of seeing things a little bit more clearly. And I, I don't want to say that maybe Matthew Mitchell got scared or if it was a, you know, or if it was just a flat out realization that life is way too damn valuable to be going 110% and potentially, you know, I don't know if, if there were worry about, there was a worry about long-term, you know, a, you know, stroking out or being too, you know, whatever the case is with, with his, with his health. I don't know if he just looked at that situation and said, I don't want to keep going, 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 and then boom, be done. You know, he, he, I don't want to, I don't want to say that he was scared, but he might have been scared with the whole situation and said, man, I, my, my kids are young. I want to be with my kids. I want to be with my wife. You know, I love the program more than anything. There's a reason that they are where they are right now, but I genuinely think that that life just got too damn important for him to, to, you know, potentially risk it. And, and I, if, if that is the reason, and I think that very well might be, I applaud him. I think that's a, it's a noble, noble thing to kind of look at yourself in the mirror and be like, my wife's way too important. My kids are way too important. My life is way too important to, to potentially risk this. So I, I'm, I'm long drawn out way of saying, 
I'm, I, I understand it if that's what it came to. I think it's fair to say that he was definitely scared. I think that's absolutely fair to say, and I think he'd probably agree with that. But and he even said in his press release that the, ma- the major things that kind of led to him were family. That was one of the major things. And, you know, he's got two young girls and his wife, and I'm sure that was probably the biggest reason why is he, like everything you just said, he didn't want to let that kind of stuff pass him by. And, um, you know, he's changed as a coach over the last 13 years, and he's kind of done – it almost feels like he's kind of done – everything that he can do. I mean, obviously you could have taken that, you know, maybe get to a final four, but any future success that this program has will be because of him. Um, he will know. get, he will get a hell of, if, if this team goes on a final four run or next year's goes on a final four or championship run. Yeah. It's, we're going to we're gonna give, we're going to give Matthew Mitchell his flowers. It's, he, absolute, he absolutely, it's absolutely just credit. Before he got here, you know, the team was horrendous. They didn't have any, any one good, um, before I think Valerie still was in the eighties yeah. and then they went about 20 years without being even a remotely competitive team. And then quickly he transformed them into an elite eight team in, in just a few years. So, and then he had the whole exodus of players and completely re I guess reinvented how he goes about coaching and went from losing half his team to creating a team that went to the second round of the NCAA tournament in two years. So he's done a lot of stuff as far as coaches can do, you yep. know, he learned under Pat Summit. He's, he's seen more than most. Um, so he's definitely fulfilled probably most of what he yep. uh, set out to do. And that was probably part of the reason he's like, you know what, I've done enough. I would have liked to have won a title. I'm sure get that last monkey off his back, but he did more than enough for the program. And like I said, any, any future success uh, for the coming years will be solely due to the foundation that Mitchell has established. Yeah, I, th- I think the word you described was perfect, fulfilled. I think he is, he's been there, done that. He's made a ton of money. He's been the star of, you know, he's got the celebrity status. You know, and if he, it, it, and he, you know, you know, he's a bright personality. He's a smart guy. He's a guy. He's not going that, anywhere from UK. That, that he's not going embraced, anywhere. He's embraced the media persona. He loves his Matthew Mitchell shows, and he loves hosting KSR during the summers. He's a guy that he's going to – when he's ready, when the time comes, he's probably going to take some much-needed time off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when he's ready to step back into the spotlight, I guarantee you he's going to do that. And shoot, he might end up returning to the program and in, in you know in a less a less lesser role just to be around it, to have an impact, to have a voice, but still let let the foundation and, and the momentum kind of still move forward without risking his, his personal health, but still be a part of the success. I think, I think we're going to see some time off from him where he's going to recover. He's going to get some, some good family time. And I think he's going to be back in that media spotlight, whether he is in the media as a, as a, you know, radio or podcast voice or TV voice, or he's going to physically be inside the program, which I think either of those options would be fantastic for him. And I think you're, I think that's absolutely going to happen during the press conference this morning. Someone asked Barnhart, you know, what's what's the potential that he kind of comes back in some form, uh, in some position within the the program, whether it's you know through um, the radio network or uh, in, within the actual team. And Barnhart was like, kind of like, yeah, we're going to keep those options open, obviously, because if if uh, Matthew Mitchell tells Mitch Barnhart in a year that he wants to come back and help the program, they're going to let him do that. So, right. and I don't like he's going to he's still loves basketball. He's going to come back in some capacity. He's going to take, like you say, he's going to take some time off and I would be shocked if he's not back in some, some form or capacity with, you know, connecting with the big blue nation somehow. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, I, I'm I'm excited for the future, but I'm also praying like hell and and thinking thinking really hard about their family and making sure that I, I'm hoping everything's okay and that this is just a, a personal decision, not a long-term legitimate health reason. I'm I'm just yeah. I, I'm I'm really hoping that this was just a kind of a an epiphany on his part that he's he just you know wants to focus on family and and life a little bit more uh, than than any potential long-term legitimate health issues right well before uh we drag the mood down anymore let's kind of talk let's transition to kyra for a second and talk about um what i think she's going to bring to the team how she kind of has this very very quick turnaround rate that she's gonna have to try and do all this so uh what do you know about coach elsie because i've i've done some research this is actually i'll explain my story about how i had a conversation with her yesterday morning but I've done some research over here over her in the last couple of days. So what do you, what do you know about her? Just off that, that trust and, and you know, that she's had such a vital role in, in recruiting and has just kind of been Mitchell's right hand woman there for, for so many years now. And when you get that level of, of trust with your head coach, it kind of makes big decisions like this come a little bit easier and knowing, I mean, she's, she's a, a star in, in coaching. I mean, there's the, she, Matthew Mitchell wouldn't be willing to hand her the reins of a program of this, of this stature and a team of this magnitude. If he didn't think that she could take this over successfully and potentially lead this team where it needs to be. And that's the final four. So yeah. that, I mean, just, just as a very vague kind of above surface understanding of the situation, She's she is a future star. I mean, shoot, probably current star in in the coaching ranks right now. And and uh, uh, I, I would be willing to bet that she's what she is ready to take over um, a, a situation as big as this. So just from her chit chatting this morning with all of us, the smile on her face was that of I was born. This was the job that I was born to do. She was very much confident in everything that she said. She was eager, smiling, happy. She's, she, she wants this job. She's ready for it. So what we need to know about coach Elsie um, is the recruiting thing is big. Like you said, that from what I've found out, she is a massive, massive recruiter. She's uh She's, this, is her, this will be her first head coaching job. She's had a bunch of assistant coaching uh, positions. She brought Kansas, like their first ever top 20 recruiting class when she was there back in the mid 2000s. Um, her first stint with UK, she helped bring in, or she was more of a developmental uh, coach at that point. But then when she went to Tennessee, back to Tennessee and under uh, Pat Summit for a few years, back in the middle of the 2000s, she brought them a number three class, a number four class. Um, and then her first couple of years at Kentucky is when she really hit the ground again. She was credited with the Ryan Howard signing, Chastity Patterson, Drayana Edwards. So as far as recruiting goes, I think they're still going to be in good hands because Coach Elsie is she's probably the head recruiter for all intents and purposes from the jump anyways. So that part is going to be good for going forward if Kentucky does ultimately decide to keep her on as the, as the official head coach, because she's technically only the interim right now. So we will see how that goes. But as you were kind of implying earlier, you know, I, part of Matthew Mitchell's reason for doing this was probably like, I have Kyra here who I know is going to be great. She's going to be able yeah. to take over and it's, it's going to be a, a smooth transition. I won't have to worry about it nearly as much. And uh, another part of that is how, Mitchell hasn't been at practice for the last or since they've started practice on November 4th, or October 14th. So he's pretty much been away from the program since he's done this 
the surgery, which I think was in June or July. So Elsie has been the head coach. She's been the player. She, as far as the players know, she's been their head coach for the last few months. So in that aspect, they know what she expects of them. The only thing that's that she's even said today that she was going to run a similar uh, set, similar style of play. It's still going to be a fast paced. Um, you know, they have a little bit more height in the middle now, so they're going to try and play more inside out. But it's still going to be a lot of uh, run and gun up the floor, shooting threes, um, trying to get steals. So um, she's it, a lot of a lot of UK's foundation won't change in that aspect. Yeah, I mean, it, you uh, you rattled off all the accolades and the the long term coaching experience that she's had. When when you, I mean, you look at it from Matthew Mitchell's eyes. You look at her and you go, you know, Matthew Mitchell had to start somewhere in in his coaching career too. I mean, when I remember when when he was initially hired at Kentucky, it was kind of one of those he's you know he he feels like a rising star in this in in these in in coaching he this is going to be a platform for him to kind of go into superstardom and this kind of feels like the same situation where it's just like you know she's she's gotten the experience she's gotten the recruiting accolades she's been at big programs she's she's been under pat summit like when you go down the list of all the little individual things it kind of feels like a matthew mitchell had to start at some point Maybe this is another situation where she finds that this is a perfect fit for her. Kentucky doesn't have to be looking very far for their long-term replacement. In fact, I think mm-hmm. I, I genuinely think that this might be this might be the one. I think I she's do. I think she's absolutely the choice. And I should I should quickly correct myself on something I said earlier. When Matthew Mitchell actually took over the program, they were kind of I forget who the coach's name was, but there was a two or three year stint where the coach before Mitchell was the shit. Like where Kentucky was seen as a team, like kind of they were on the same trajectory that Matthew Mitchell has them on the last few years. So he didn't necessarily inherit a terrible, he actually inherited a really good team. The coach before I remember left for other, she'd actually got burned out was kind of the situation. So she left and then Matthew Mitchell took over. So he kind of had a foundation as well, the same way that Kyra does. So there wasn't much of a, uh, a lapse in um, loss of talent in production. So it's hopefully it'll, they they kind of mirror each other in that way um, as well. So I just wanted to quickly uh, rectify that because I completely forgot but, to mention but, all that. But the, the point remains that the program as a whole, not, you know, right? They've had Matthew, they've Matthew had Mitchell brought the program up. He individual positive and, and successful teams, but the program as a whole was not at the status and consistent right. nature that it is right now. Yeah, they could have potentially gotten there had the former coach not uh, set down, but Matthew still got them there. He mm-hmm. took over and still got them there. So, and um, let's let's kind of what what else do I want to talk about, Coach Elsie, real quick? Um, well, actually, okay. So yesterday morning, um, I had a conversation. Or I just chatted with her on Zoom for about 35, 40 minutes. Um, unbeknownst to me, that she was about to become the head coach a mere ma- uh, hours later. So um, she didn't really uh, sneak. I, don't, for, I would imagine she knew if, if uh, Matthew Mitchell told this or told Barnhart on Wednesday, I would imagine that she knew yesterday morning. Maybe not though. Maybe this was like a thing she figured out during the day, but from what I could tell, she didn't exactly uh, spill any beans about it, but I did kind of ask her, you know, I was like, so, you know, you've, you've been the coach for the last few months, you know, has this kind of made you look forward to 
potentially taking over as a head coach one day. And she was like, well, you know, if the time comes, then it comes and I'll just wait for the opportunity if I get it. And uh, so now I'm going to go back and listen to that audio and see if she even maybe dropped a couple of hints that I just completely looked past. But um, she broke down. I had her break down every single player on the roster for me. Um, so I'll have more stuff on that on the site later. Um, but she's, she's got, she knows this team inside and out, probably better than Matthew Mitchell does right now. If we're going to be completely (laughs) honest, just because he wasn't, he wasn't there. So her taking over is going, it's, it's not going to change much, uh, as far as day-to-day stuff goes. Um, I, I, I imagine she'll try and throw her own wrinkles in, into the offense as well. Um, Matthew Mitchell didn't really have a big post size player the last few years. So now coach Elsie's going to have that. And there's going to be, the pressure is definitely going to be on for her. It's going like, you know, it's an ideal situation to inherit a roster that has a national player of the year and can go 10 deep and, and all that stuff. So, but at the same time, you know, now you have a top 10 team with a national player of the year. So Matthew Mitchell or not Kentucky fans are still expecting this team to try and, get to another elite elite eight this year, maybe even a final four, if not next year. So the pressure is going to be on from, from what I can tell, she seems very excited and eager to, to take on the challenge. Um, but it's not, it's, it's, it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of tests that she's going to have to go through this first year thrown into the fire. Yeah. We'll say. Yeah. And I think another thing that should definitely be mentioned is the fact that, um, kind of spilled the beans a little bit with you uh, about two potential additions that um, yes. Kentucky could still keep their eye on that could could legitimately take this team from sweet 16 level to uh, you know legitimate contender yeah so I asked her about the uh, the two the status of the transfers Jasmine Massengill and Robin Benton and unlike all the other responses I get from UK she kind of was like well we're going into the season not expecting them to play, but um, we are I, – I don't want to put words into her mouth. Uh, I haven't exactly gone back and listened to that audio yet. I probably should have before I did this. But she told me that uh, there, is, there was still hope out there. She, she implied that the waivers are still open and they're still waiting for him. So she didn't say no by any means did she say no. So she – I've talked to Matthew Mitchell and um, – you know, Evan Crane, the SID, SID, a couple other people, no one has ever given me an answer like hers where she was like, well, yeah, we're still kind of keeping our, our options open for it. And they're, yeah. and they're ready. They're ready to play if they need to play. So. And we've talked about that on this show several times that this, that adding those two to the fold, you know, adding them into the fold would definitely take them into, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if we want to put final four championship level, expectations on them this year Mm -hmm. this would kind of you know especially with the coaching change it would definitely be a they have they have contending potential let's see let's see where things go you you know definitely NCAA tournament sweet 16 elite eight potential you know right away just just I mean just out of pure potential teams like that I mean teams with that much potential they're gonna rack up wins. Ryan Howard alone makes the sweet 16 they're going to get they're going to you know, make a run. It's mm. just how deep can that run be? So I don't want to put that level of expectation on them right away, even if they do get both of these, both these transfers approved, but next year is definitely if, if, if they can get their feet underneath them and, and kind of develop, you know, mesh into this program and kind of learn together as, as a collective unit, 
and they're all returning next year, I definitely think that we're going to be looking at this situation next year and going, wow, this is, this is, this is going to be, you know, final four championship level for mm-hmm. sure. And I definitely don't envy her position at all. As much as I think it's a good position, like a good situation, like all those, especially if those two transfers come in, that's going to be 12 players. She's going to have to try and figure out, you know, minutes for who, who's earned her the roles. It's not going to be easy when you have 12 players that can all play to tell five of them that they're not going to play. So she's going to have to deal with that too. There's going to be a lot of situations as a first year head coach that she's, you know, never had to deal with before because she's never been in that situation. Yeah. But again, managing egos and stuff like that. But as far this team seems very tight knit and well put together. And um, from what I can tell, it, it doesn't seem like there's going to be any issue of, you know, power balance and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, and I, again, I trust Matthew Mitchell's judgment on this call. Just, you know, if and if, Barnhart signed it, off on it too. It, it's yeah. And it, especially that it's kind of one of those situations that if John Calipari made an abrupt retirement decision or something like that, where, you know, we have that trust in Cal mindset and Cal said, I'm leaving and this is the guy that's replacing me. It'd be so one of those yes. situations that we look at it and we go, all right, if Calipari it looks at it and he immediately looked at this individual and said, you're going to be the person to take the reins over. It's just one of those situations that you got to look at it and go, all right, if, if that's who Mitchell thinks is, is capable of taking over this program and, and leading the star power and, and, you know, with all the expectations that they have, then, there, there's obviously a reason for it. So mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to trust his judgment and trust his decision and, and, uh, and assume that, that this was 100% the right call. And it's no small feat that she, uh, that Elsie will become a blackhead or is a blackhead coach. Um, yeah. it's, I think a bunch of, uh, positions in college basketball this year got filled by, uh, blackhead coaches. So all good news all around in that aspect for her, um, so do you want to kind of move on to pro day or? Absolutely. Yeah. That's, All right. Let's do it. it we, you know, we've we kind of got, stuff. we, we got some little bit of optimism right there with, you know, toward the end about where this team could be, the women's team could be heading and how we got to take this, take this situation and kind of run with it and, and look at, look at the bright side. And I don't know if you can even go to a better bright side than looking at what we saw last night with the Kentucky men's basketball team. Because holy crap, it was – there was just – I mean, there was just so much to look at and so much to enjoy. I mean, you go and you kind of replay the event in your head and you think, okay, who were the biggest standouts? Who kind of who kind of took the games over and, and the scrimmages over and the little individual drills over that made you go, ah, there that's what that's why this team could be a title contender oh they are there there that too i think you first look at bj boston bj boston at six foot seven 180 185 pounds has the length but has the scoring ability that i'm telling you he's going to be in the malik monks of the world the jamal murray's of the world the the high profile scoring guards that we've seen come come across our our tvs and and rep arena floor at, at kentucky I'm, I'm just telling you his shot is just so pure and, and he has a work ethic where he's just in the gym so often he gets up so many damn shots that it's just like the the work that he is it's not a surprise the work he has put in it's like 
you know, A plus B equals C. I mean, he, what he does in the gym translates to directly to on-court success. He works nonstop on his jump shot. So why, you know, what other expectation you have other than, holy crap, he keeps hitting shots over and over and over again. I mean, when he hit that, the, the five-minute drill where it was just three-pointer after three-pointer, I mean, it was just one after the other. Just, I mean, just absolutely beautiful shot. Um, I definitely think he's going to be a – he's going to be that guy that he's going to have a 30-point game or he's going to have a 35-point game. We Just one of those games where he just, he just can't miss and he just kind of, you know, take – takes a game over, you know, probably even a high profile matchup because he, you know, coming from Sierra Canyon, being alongside Bronny James and Zaire Williams and, you know, Dwayne Wade's son, you know, when you look at what he has already been through and the kind of spotlight he has already been in, he, he is born ready for the spotlight that's going to come at Kentucky. He's already gone through it. I mean, being in the LeBron James spotlight, is on that same wavelength of the Kentucky basketball spotlight where you are oh, yeah. always having an ESPN camera shoved in your face. Always. There's, there, there was a, an, there was a, a national television broadcast or local broadcast or national reporters at every single game that Bronny, that, that BJ Boston played in because of Bronny James. So seeing what we saw last night is not a shock at all. That's, that's what we all expected because of how, you know, born ready he was for this, or what? What's the uh, built different the the built UK different. the UK slogan? Yeah, so he he is he is very much in in the you know the talks for a reason because he's he's he has earned that right. Uh, and and as we saw last night, I mean, he's just so skilled, just so so gifted dribbling the ball, and and I mean, he it's not just shooting either. I mean, he just does so many dynamics. He do, he had like two dunks on people last night. Where I mean, just he does things where it's just like whoa, that dude's going to be making a lot of money in eight months. A lot of money. He's going to be a top 10 draft pick, whether we like it or not. So enjoy him while you can, because his time, his time in Lexington is not going to be lasting long. I promise you. Um, outside of Boston, I mean, I think you got to look at another guy that kind of t- took my attention, that kind of my eye just automatically went to him every time I, he was on the floor was Isaiah Jackson. I mean, Olivier Saar gets all the hype. Keon Brooks is the returner or the returnee from last season, the only rotation, you know, guy from, from last season team. And I, I sit here going, I don't see a route. I don't see any re I don't have any reason to think that Isaiah Jackson isn't going to be, I don't want to say starting, but having starter minutes by the time we get to conference play. I, I just, I just, don't I just think he's he's way too talented he's way too bound and I think more than anything he fits so well alongside Olivier Saar with Saar being the kind of skilled smooth you know type type big that you can rely on to you know to give you offensive production and kind of put him alongside Jackson who who can you know be the rim running guy that can you know have some alley-oops that can you know have put back dunks and and he just does all of the the perfect complimentary work that that Olivier Saar gives you so I I definitely looked at him last night and and I kind of said okay I understand why why he's getting all this hype I understand why he is you know why why every national analyst that watches a Kentucky basketball practice says Isaiah Jackson is the guy 
he's the guy that you got to keep keep your keep your eye on I mean because he's just so long so bouncy so tall so strong I mean you look at him he I think he's 6'10 207 208 pounds but he looks just I mean he looks like he can power through you for like kind of that bam out of bio you know he might weigh less but he's he has that core strength to go through you instead of up and around you that I think is going to be so valuable for for putback dunks and alley-oop attempts and and all you know all all the times that he needs to overpower SEC level level bigs I think those were the two biggest takeaways for me is that a BJ Boston is as good as advertised and b Isaiah Jackson is the the hype train that has you know kind of created itself over the last several weeks with Isaiah Jackson I think is legitimate and we know that he can't shoot Isaiah Jackson yeah yeah and uh, the, tease, his, the tease that he might be able to shoot threes didn't look like uh something that I want to see that all, all that often yeah talking to his high school coach and and you know people that know him and and kind of grew up with him kind of said oh yeah he kind of thrives with that point forward mindset and you know I was kind of looking forward to that and it's just like nah we're gonna we're gonna keep you where you need to be but still be a very very solid contributor let's let's I still think rim running is what you're good at rim running is probably where he'll definitely thrive the the most and I think him working next to Sar will be great if Sar can keep that outside jumper uh fluid so I think I that think looked that, good. Yeah, that if looked very good. Those those two paired together with Sar being able to shoot outside will really that'll be in that'll be a great pair, a great pairing. Um, as far as my takeaways, I'm always hesitant to take anything from stuff like this. Right. Um, the BJ Boston thing was obvious though. Um, that kid's going to be a star. You could even I also like you, you kind of talked about you know he's been used to the stardom. That's a big thing. You can yeah. even tell when he was doing those interviews on the side that. You know, he's, I mean, didn't he's, he's it, been here before. <laughs> yeah, didn't that didn't that sound like an ESPN interview from a a person that has done that yeah. once or twice in his life? Yeah, yeah, he definitely he he's no stranger to all that stuff. So I just just that in general is it's going to be good for just overall confidence and um, just being able to deal with the stress and the stress and pressure of playing for Kentucky basketball. So, um, but I thought Olivier Sar looked really good, um, a lot better. I was. You know, we have we have a bunch of film on Olivier Saar, but I feel like we're not going to see the same version of him at Wake Forest at all. So that was more that I feel like what we saw last night was really more what we're going to see from Saar. Um, but I thought he looked good. Um, Terrence Clark. Gonna, uh, it, the consensus is, is that it's going to take some time. And that's kind of what, you know, Tom Hart was everyone's been saying that. But it kind of was obvious. Or it, came, it became a little bit more clear that. He probably is going to be a little bit of a project, but in no way is he going to be, you know, not starting. And I think he's a guy that you have to – he's one of those guys that Calipari has had in the past that that you can't just trust to put out there and just kind of like B.J. Boston where you know he's going to do what he does. He's going to – score in in however way he wants and you're just gonna you know kind of like Malik Monk you didn't have to draw anything up for Malik Monk he was just he was just going to make magic happen with the with the ball he, he was he was just going to go out there and, and do something something with it but Terrence Clark is a kind of guy that is talented enough to be a high level 
16, 17, 18 point per game score at the college level. Absolutely. I definitely think that, but he's one of those guys that you do, you know, potentially have to draw some things up for and kind of give him, you know, cur- you know, put him in ISO situations where he can use his length and quickness to beat guys off the dribble and, and get and, and attack the rim. So I think that's going to be the one thing I'll be interested to see if, if Calipari gives him the coaching and, and flexibility that he needs to be that high level uh, producer. Um, you know, right now I think BJ Boston is an 18 plus point per game score. I really do. I think he's going to be a 17 to 18 point per game score. Um, if I were just based on what we're seeing right now, I'd probably be willing to bet Terrence Clark is going to average 14 or so um, just, just based off natural gift that, you know, we, I mean, he has a strength, he has the length, he has the speed. He's going to, he's going to get points, you know, just, just off of his, his natural abilities, but he can kind of take, and I kind of put that 13, 14 point per game score as a, as a very solid college basketball player on a, on a contending team. If he wants to be that, superstar national player of the year first team all-american all sec type guy in that 16 17 18 19 point per game range it's i think calipari is gonna have to get a little creative let him run point guard kind of like what we've talked about on this show you know give him let him have the ball in his hands and create let him navigate through some of his issues navigate through some of his his mistakes that he's inevitably going to make and and uh and we'll see where he goes from there i but i do i, I don't I don't have any strong feeling about his performance last night really at all. I, I think, I, I think he's going to be what he is, you know, and I think it is going to be a very high, highly successful player, but uh, I just don't know if this was the right setting to show that, I guess. Yeah. And like I, like I said, I, I try not to take too much from these things unless you get a guy like BJ Boston, who just comes out there and flat out done. It's kind of like how I watch uh, summer, like league summer league. Exactly. Yeah. It's exactly how I watch summer league. Like, Unless the guy just comes out there and just blows away everyone else, I wouldn't read too much into it, even if they play poorly, um, just because it's weird circumstance in general. Just that that entire situation is it's more of a, that was more of a that was a practice. It wasn't than anything, you know. They they did a little bit of five on five and four on four, but for for all intents and purposes, that was that was a practice. So, and they were doing it in front of a Zoom board, a giant eight, Zoom board with of, eighty. NBA with, personnel. Yeah, like, come 80. on now. Imagine if you're like Lance Ware or Jacob Toppin <laughs> out there trying to make an impact when you touch the ball a couple times. And <laughs> so it, it definitely, like, those guys, like, anything we saw from – I know you were kind of talking about Dante Allen's jump shot. You know, that looks pure. It's beautiful. So that's good news and stuff. But as far as what we actually saw from them in terms of production, I wouldn't, I wouldn't read too much into anything. I will. I, I do want to ask you what your thoughts. So I think we kind of have a consensus at this point who the top four-ish guys are. I think we know BJ Boston, Terrence Clark, Olivier Saar, and Probably people would argue. The, people would argue. Oh, it might be Devin Askew, it might be Davion Mintz, just because of his experience. Blah blah blah. But I think the growing consensus is that is that Isaiah Jackson is going to take over that fourth role at some point. Mm-hmm at some point soon maybe sooner rather than later um i want to ask you what you think of those next four ish players are those guys good enough in your your opinion to get this team where it needs to be at that national title uh contending 
range, and that's Keon Brooks, Devin Askew, Davion Mintz, and Lance Ware probably. But you know, maybe it's maybe it's Dante Allen coming in and shooting. Maybe it's Jacob Toppin being that athletic freak of nature, going to give you rebounds, going to give you block shots, going to you know hit a corner three every once in a while. But that next core four, do you think they are good enough to take this team to the next level? Well, the first name that you said, Devin Devin Askew, that's the name that I would. That's that's the first name. I even think that, you know, if you're creating a top three of Boston, Saar, and Clark, I could almost see Devin Askew being that fourth guy. Um, if you had to have me pick a fourth guy that averages over 10 points, I would probably say it's going to be Devin Askew. Um, just because I think he ends up taking that role from Davion Mintz as like the overall starting guy. And I just think he'll have too many opportunities to not um, score that many points. So I think Devin Askew is probably going to be just as good, if not better than advertised. Um, Keon Brooks, I'm still, I'm a big Keon fan, but, and you know, the, the hype when he came back was, oh, we're going to have sophomore Keon, but we know you don't really hear too much about sophomore Keon. So I'm not really going to say, I'm not going to be, you know, overly hype or bullish on him right now, just because I, I want to see what, what he actually looks like. Um, okay. Real quick is, does Kentucky need Keon Brooks to be the fifth best player on the team to be the a title contender mm. fifth plus I mean I'm not saying he can't be the best player I hope that he's the best player on the the court because that would mean that this team is is you know Keon, historically good if, if, if Keon Brooks yeah. is a top four player UK is probably a final four team if okay he, if he's if he gets to the third best like if it's Boston Saar and then Keon Brooks Kentucky's probably in a very, very good position in that. Because in that case, that means Keon Brooks is probably averaging, you know, 12 points a game, probably six or seven rebounds. He's probably playing all SEC caliber basketball. And if that's the case, then I think Kentucky's ceiling is insane. But from what we can tell right now, Keon Brooks is probably our fifth, sixth best player. And if he is the fifth or sixth best player, I don't, their ceiling probably doesn't drop that much. Um, just because I think the team is going to be powered by Boston and Saar. And if Keon Brooks is our best player, honestly, I don't think that's a good thing. I would, I think BJ Boston has to be the best player um, because he's very clearly our best scorer. So um, Keon Brooks for, for what we know, he might be a much improved scorer, but you know, BJ Boston is going to be our go-to guy. So if Keon Brooks is our fifth best player and is more in a, energy role more than anything i still think kentucky's just as good if he's the fourth best player the sixth best player or whatever so yeah i don't think there's much difference there in terms of just how much he impacts the team i don't having him back as a sophomore is nice but this is we've always we're always run by freshmen this is a freshman team plus olivier star yeah and i think most people kind of when he returned people automatically put that pj washington sophomore jump yeah, on him that's I, don't not fair. That, I don't think that's fair to him at all mm-hmm. um I, I mean again i'm hoping for it i think he i PJ think he washington could. showed signs of being as good as he was though i think I, I think he, he took could. on to the last game but i and again i'm not going to be having any huge takeaways but I was expecting him to shoot a little bit better last night. I was expecting him to kind of, you know the shot still kind of has that hitchy kind of too much I don't know it's kind of hard to explain why I don't like the look of his jump shot and why it's it's just a little bit there's too much too much going on in his shot that I think it's just it doesn't have the kind of that same Ashton Hagen's 
where it, there's just so much of a wind up and a build up that you, you know I don't know there's just something missing with his shot right now that I thought we would see changed this offseason that it looks exactly the same as it was last year um, and that's okay because I don't think he's ever going to be a star shooter I think he's well let's say this would you rather have him shoot seven like more than seven shots a game or under from three or combined just overall would you rather Keon Brooks shoot over or under seven we'll put it at seven seven shots a game I would like to see him take seven shots a game I want him to shoot two threes a game and I want him to have five drive do you, do you to the think Kentucky's ceiling is higher if he shoots more I think that's kind of a difficult way to put it because it depends on what kind of shots we're getting with him. If he, okay. okay. Keon Brooks is an athletic monster when he wants to be, when he wants to drive, because he's, he's so, you know, fundamentally sound with his basketball ability. I think in in terms of driving to the, driving to the hoop and, and kind of being a six foot seven, forward that has strength has has built but still you know still very agile very athletic kind of has that quickness to him where he can beat guys off the dribble you you know I I think he kind of has that he has mismatch written all over him in a in a very very positive way and I want him to realize that and I think he did against Florida to, to close out the year I think he started going oh I'm faster than a lot of these big guys but uh you know I'm also stronger than a lot of these you know small forwards out here I can I can create mismatches on on the court whenever you know against anybody you know I can I can be a mismatch against fours and I can be a mismatch against threes and I think he very slowly started realizing that by the end of the year and if Kentucky wants to live up to the potential that I think they have I think I think he's going to need to continue I I don't think he needs to go back to you know revert back to January Keon Brooks or or you know, December Keon Brooks. He needs to build off of what we saw leading right up in the SEC tournament. He needs to go, you know, take that Florida game, right what we saw the last time we ever saw him, and go straight into this year. I mean, we, we can't see a – if he reverts, I think he's going to lose his job. I think he's going to lose his job to Isaiah Jackson. I think Isaiah is just too good. He's going to, you know, take that over. And by the time he kind of gets his legs underneath him and he, he does – take back over it's going to be you know Isaiah is going to be Isaiah he's going to be as good as we kind of think Isaiah Jackson can be and at that point his he's only going to be the fifth best player on the team because we the other four have have kind of cemented themselves as as the 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 core group so I I, it needs to be a quick ah okay yep Keon is who we thought he was type type I I think we're kind of going on a pat in out an Alex Poitras trajectory with him, which could be bad. Um, just because of all the potential that Alex Poitras showed, you know, kind of what you were saying can take threes can take, or can play the three can play the four can play the five if you really wanted to. So there's all that versatility. It was more of just a, will he do it thing? Can he actually, will he just do it every game? And Alex Poitras for the most part, you know, did not, obviously he had the injury and all that other stuff, but you know, it just feels like we're kind of in a similar path with Keon. Um, and with all the other, it, it, it kind of happened with Poitras too, you know, just all this other talent comes in and you just kind of get pigeonholed behind all these guys. And unless you take a serious leap, you're not like a PJ leap is you're going to kind of be stuck in the same role. 
Yeah. So I, I, that's definitely, uh, that's definitely the, the biggest thing that the probably my biggest takeaway from the event. I, I really do think that's my biggest thing is all the players we kind of thought were the good ones were are the good ones, good ones. The ones that we kind of knew were going to be the bench players are the bench players. Keon needs to decide if he's going to be a bench player or one of the good players. I, I do. I, I think that it, which which way he goes, if he's going to be in the bottom four or the top four of the roster, will determine a lot of Kentucky's success. I, I really do think that. Mm-hmm. And we'll find out pretty quick. I don't think it'll take but a, a few games for, for Cal to be like, you're either doing this or you're not. So, yeah. And if we've got all this talent waiting behind like we say we do, then – it shouldn't be that difficult for Cal to say, look, Keon, you're not playing well these first three games. You're taking the bench seat, and we're going to put Isaiah Jackson in. And you either come back and start being more productive and aggressive, or this is how it's going to be. Yep. Yeah. And, yeah, like you said, I think we'll learn very quickly. Big Blue Madness is next week. And then the week after that, season starts. We, have, we are, man. We have, you know, basketball season is here. So sure is. We'll, we'll, we'll know very, very quickly. Yep. Well, I think uh, you want to you want to end it here. You yeah. Anything think, else you want to add? I think we've, I th- we've talked I, a lot. I think we we got a a good bit of both men men's talk and, and women's talk. I think there was a lot to say about both, and uh, both both teams have a lot of reason for optimism going mm-hmm. into their respective seasons. Even very given very time. newsy stuff going on with these two yeah. programs right now. Lots to yeah. lots to lots to pay attention to. Absolutely. Well, uh, this was a lot of fun and we will be back at it again next Friday as we usually are. We have stuck to our uh, original schedules and I guess what is it next Friday is Big Blue, Big Blue Madness, I think. Is it? Yeah, it's probably a Friday, right? I would is imagine it? it's a Friday. Okay, so it, I, I believe so. We'll, we'll have to double check that. But this maybe, will either maybe we be, should do a uh, like a pre like a, a preseason primer since the season starts next Wednesday. Maybe do like a Wednesday or a Tuesday thing just to kind of get it going. Yeah, we will. Yeah, we'll maybe do a recap some Big Blue Madness as well. Let's do it. I'm all the way for it. Um, well, where well, before we end it here, where can fans find your work? They can find me on Twitter at zgagan ksr. Gagan is spelled G E O G H E G A N. Go follow your boy. You need to follow KentuckySportsRadio.com because he has a bunch of good stuff. Uh, momentum is is building for the Zach Gagan hype train. We are excited about his future. Isaiah uh, Jackson so, vibes. So yeah, so yeah, he's he's the Isaiah Jackson of the KSR group. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jack Pilgrim KSR. Find my work on KentuckySportsRadio.com. Reach out to me via email at jpilgrim at KentuckySportsRadio.com. If you have any questions, concerns, comments. You want to make fun of Zach? You want me to make fun of Zach? Just, just let me know. That's it's a easy. great. That's a great way to do it. Uh, and we'll be back next week for another one. Let's do this. Look, look at his face.